0: Welcome to season five of the Retail Tea Break podcast. My name is Melissa Moore, the Retail Advisor, and each week I'll be joined by industry experts, retailers and brands to dispel the myths, share their knowledge and give you an insight into the retail industry. You can listen back to previous episodes on your favourite podcast platform or on YouTube. And while you're there, please subscribe to the podcast so that you get to listen to it first every week. In the meantime, grab that cup of tea, sit back and listen in to season five of the Retail Tea Break podcast. Today I'm joined by a guest who is a global e-commerce and digital transformation leader. He has experienced across all spheres of retail e-commerce, from omnichannel to marketplaces, B2B e-commerce, and direct-to-consumer. He's had a varied career covering local, regional, and global roles across both emerging and developed markets. This has given today's desk a very unique perspective on the e-commerce landscape across the world, how it's evolving, and what to do about it. Dean McIlway author of e-commerce for CEOs welcome to the Retail Tea Break podcast.
1: Thanks Melissa thanks very much for having me.
0: I'm um, delighted to have you here we're going to talk all about this new book which as I've already said to you I found brilliant so useful an incredible resource but look before we get into it in the time that it takes to boil a kettle which I'm told is about two minutes tell us a bit about you and your background in business.
1: My kettle boils in about a minute and a half, so I'd better
0: better rush
1: on. So, yes, I've been very fortunate to work for a wide variety of brands. So, I'm currently working for Stanley Black & Decker, but I've worked previously for the Kellogg Company. I've worked for Coca-Cola, Nestle, and I was very fortunate at one point in my career to work with MasterCard on the the advisors section. So my career has, has spanned the continent of Africa, the continent of of, of Europe, where where we are now, and across both omni-channel and e-commerce roles and and analytics roles. So I've I've been pretty fortunate to really have three things that uh, are in my career, and that's commercial strategy, e-commerce, and analytics.
0: It's great to have someone of your... I suppose your experience and your knowledge then being able to talk about this because I think an awful lot of people now might have one they have one channel of expertise but since you've been in the business so long and I mean that in a very positive way that you cover it all which is fantastic.
1: Yeah I've been very fortunate you know I think one of the things I set out to do fairly early on in my career was to collect experiences. I didn't I didn't really have a, a, a defined career path. I really looked for experiences and I looked for experiences where I could learn and for me it was very important about learning in all these different roles so I I deliberately looked for roles where I didn't quite understand everything about something purposely so I could learn something more I, I, I get really enthused by the process of learning.
0: That's a really lovely way to be. And I suppose that brings us on to the book. And actually, I want to start by saying thank you. As someone, again, that doesn't come from an e-commerce background, who wants to learn, as you say, who wants to understand more, I'm really grateful that you wrote the book. So the book, E-commerce for CEOs, I have it next to me here on the desk, What Every CEO and C-suite Leader Should Know About E-commerce. I genuinely, and I said this here a few weeks ago, I loved it. It's made me more comfortable it's maybe more confident with the subjects of e-commerce and I think there's an awful lot of people listening or watching that will find the same like it's broken down so well there's even a glossary in the back because again if you're hearing all these kind of acronyms all these words time and time again and you've no idea what they mean and again we're not always comfortable about going sorry excuse me what does that mean what were you saying there I really loved it so what on earth made you put all your thoughts down on paper and write it
1: yeah, so I think it, it was a combination of a couple of things. One is that it, it was lived experience. You know, I think during, during COVID, a lot of business leaders suddenly found themselves needing to understand e-commerce because it became the, the single biggest thing that, that was driving businesses at that stage. So I think for me, it was a case of living through that, getting asked so many questions and, and hearing people say, well, how do I do this? How do I do that? And then gradually, as I went through that, I realized that looking out there, that there was very little that actually existed for people to go and actually understand e-commerce. You know, there wasn't a, a wealth of courses or wealth of textbooks or anything like that. And my my belief all through that time was that we have to democratize e-commerce and get everybody to understand it, to actually make progress on it. If it sits with the preserve of a few, it's really not going to grow and see its full potential. So it it was was all of those and, and I'd been asked the question, should I write a book by by a by a, a close friend here here in Ireland? And he said, you know, you should write a book and, and and I said, well I'm not quite sure. And then he said, no, I think you should write a book. So so credit to him and then inspiration from a couple of other e-commerce leaders who've done the same. So so that was sort of the reason that, that I came came around. So it was one of those things that I said at the beginning of the year and you said these are two or three things I'm going to do this year and this this was on on the uh, list for last year. So I'm glad I got it completed this year. I didn't get it completed in the same year I started but that that's it.
0: It's a great book and again a sure sign that I've enjoyed a book. It's covered in scribbles and arrows and post-it notes. It's just broken down so so well. And there's this line in chapter three really stood out for me, as did many. And I must show you those scribbles. I'll send you pictures of them at some stage. This line says the digital world is within a fingertips grasp of every customer. And I suppose when you look at the way we now shop, it's it's so true. And then you talk about this seismic shift in consumer buying behavior, which I suppose, again, as a lived experience, we've either gone through it or we're going through it. What's your take on what's gone on the last few
1: years? So I think there's I think there has been this massive change, you know, as a, as a highlight in the book, which is, you know, I think early on in our careers, early on in our working lives or e- even our purchasing journeys as consumers, I think we we went two things. We saw supermarkets and we went to shops and we visited retail outlets. And we may have been exposed to media at some point along the way, I saw a billboard, I listened to a a radio slot, I saw an advert on TV. And I think what's changed dramatically is everything is now right with us. So I open my mobile phone, there's an advert on Facebook, there's an advert on Instagram, I open a news site like independent.ie, I'm bombarded with an ad there. So... I think that has changed a lot and then I think the other part of it is that we've learned how to use the internet to research things and then purchase them offline. So, so we, we're learning how to research online, purchase offline and the retailers themselves are also providing a lot of information that helps us do that. You know, So I think that's been the big change is that it's now everything's within our fingertip, fingertips and, and that's why I I focused in on that because it's really anything I want, I can sit and do, and I can sit and do it at any time. You know, we're probably living at the golden age of shopping. I probably shouldn't be saying that, sounding like book two, book two, sitting like it's uh, I'm advocating for mass consumerism. But I think the the reality is that we are sitting at that time where everybody can sit there. They can be on the train. They can they can browse, they can purchase, they can be sitting on the bus, they can be sitting as a passenger in a car and, and and be purchasing. So I think it's really there is no limit to where you can you can buy stuff and from and how you can buy stuff. And I think those tools of, of retail are just expanding and I think more and more we're going to see more of that type of um, developments going forward.
0: It, it sounds exciting that, you know, I could wake up at 2 a.m. and decide to go shopping now for Christmas presents or Mother's Day gifts or whatever it might be. But that's also quite scary that actually if the retailer doesn't keep up with that, I'm off. I've gone to the next one. Your site's too slow. I'm gone. I'm off to your competitor. Yeah. It's um, it's good and bad at the same time.
1: It is both. And I think, I think this is one of the challenges for us as brands and as retailers is... How far down the road are we prepared to look? So we're prepared to say, well, what's going to happen in the next three to five years? How, how then does that change my business? And I think we've got to be looking that far ahead to go and say, well, is it going to be an app? Do I need to launch an app? Is my website enough? But we've got to be looking that far, far ahead to make sure that we're ready for when that comes. Because, you know, consumers can change and they change change very quickly you know if you go back a couple of years we weren't using things like timu and sheen and now it's timu it's sheen and and you know that's taken a a whole bunch of retailers by absolute surprise so you know i think it's yes we we have to look at that and we have to look at how do we meet the needs of those consumers for what they want because if we don't somebody else will and somebody will do it quickly quicker and more effective than we will
0: And that's actually really interesting because you see the likes of Timu that have come in, blanket coverage with their marketing. That app is everywhere. The Irish consumer is one of the most, you know, they we have one of the the biggest downloads, I suppose, in the world of that app right now. And is it any good for us? Probably not, but it's here, as you say, and we're not getting rid of it. Much like, I suppose, we talked about Amazon even five years ago. You can't Mm -hmm. fight the giant on their level. So you have to find a different way to do it. So, yeah, I think that's going to be watch this space. But as you said, I suppose e-commerce is here. It's very much here to stay, but it isn't this magic solution. And I really got the impression and look, COVID was very different. It was very specific. It was seen as this magic solution to grow a brand, to drive sales. But from what you're saying, it's the brand strategy. So we're really back to basics here. It's the values that you as a brand has that has to come first in order to provide the right experience. So it's almost, it sounds like from the book, unwinding everything we know. It doesn't matter with e-commerce, just Stop. Go back and look at the original reason that you do what you do.
1: Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I always come back to is why? Why are you doing what you're doing? Yeah. Because I think we we often, as as consumers as humans, want that shortcut, want that gold, that silver bullet that sits there and is absolutely panacea to to all our all our challenges. But the reality is, it's not. You still need to make decisions about how you go to market, what your value proposition is when you go to market, what your product market fit is. You know, I, I see so many companies one, thinking that this is really a single one-stop solution, put up a website that, that the world, is, the world yeah. is okay, everybody flocks to it, but it's that's somewhat a field of dreams, I think, you know. We, we can't just build it and hope they come. We've got to do certain things underneath that and... You know often what i talk about with our teams is how can you be brilliant at the basics first because then we can build on the basics you know without these basics of knowing what market i I am in which consumers i'm actually going after and what their issues are and how i'm solving their problems then how can i really be successful yeah and I, i think that's that's the big challenge for us is go back to basics build on it understand why you're making the decisions you are, instead of just blindly assuming that a path that somebody else has chosen is the right path for you, because it may not be.
0: I'm smiling hard at this, because again, look, there's been plenty of brands the last few years, whether they're big or small, that have gone after the shiny thing. It is like the holy grail there, that they've seen e-commerce, and I use that almost term very lightly, and again, you're really good in the book of going through what that actually means, even how it should be written, but again, it's like they've gone after E-commerce, like it is the thing that's going to make them succeed, but as you said, it hasn't fallen in line with strategy, hasn't fallen in line with other channels, and I think it's just really confused the customer because, of course, a bad website. And again, some people use the term e-commerce when actually all they're talking about is is that URL popping in that website, and it's awful. Do you think they're yeah. awful, some of them?
1: Yeah, no, they are, and and I and I think this is the thing. You know, I think we've got to be very careful of. I, I call it magpie e-commerce, which is, you know, chasing after that shiny object, be it, be it the metaverse, be it NFTs, be it, you know, and I think we've all in hindsight seen a couple of those over the last couple of years. The challenge with that is that you divert your attention away from, from what you truly should be doing, which is how can we serve the customer, serve him in the best possible way? That's why I think, you know, in certain instances, that's why Amazon has been so successful because yeah. it's been laser-focused still on the same person, the, the consumer, and love them or hate them. They've done a very good job at that. And I think that, to their credit, has been their success is is there's lots of technology supporting it, but the technology isn't leading the decision-making. The consumer is leading the decision-making. And I think, you know, that, that's really the what, what the focus should be so that you don't lose sight of why we're doing this. You know, I think you can sort of sit there and say, I want a website. Why? Because everybody else has a website. No, I want a website because I want to offer my consumer a different experience to what they can get in store. Yeah, you know, It's one of the examples I, I use in the book about purchasing motor vehicles. When I sit there and I go, I'll I'll go and drive it because that's the only way I can experience it. But if I want to look at specs or I want to look at dimensions, the best place to do that is is on the internet. I'm not going to go and take out my tape measure and measure a car in the parking lot. Quite frankly, I, I don't think I'd look very clever doing that. So, so I think it's about understanding what that environment or that retail environment is How can you differentiate the online retail environment from the in-store retail environment in such a way that they're complementary rather than just duplication? I think a lot of people think, I'm just going to duplicate what I do in-store online. And, well, I don't know how that adds value to your shopper.
0: That's a key differentiator. And again, yeah. an awful lot of retailers are getting that wrong as opposed to blending them. They're just trying to do the same thing in two places. But again, as you say, like we literally shop in very different ways when we're either sitting at home on our sofa in our pajamas and our slippers or we're out and about on a Saturday and it's crazy busy in a physical store. So mm. it, it doesn't make sense. And I think this is what's baffled me over the years. And obviously you've been in the thick of it and you've seen it, that so many retailers are getting it wrong and it's not to bash them for getting it wrong but it's to give them the foresight that if you go back to your simple strategy so retailing 101 think about the fact that you say you put the customer at the heart of every decision you make but you probably don't then yeah. then figure out what you're meant to be doing online and install.
1: absolutely I mean you know I think it's it's where do people shop and we, we get so often Diverted by the biases from which we sit, you know. You and I are sitting in front of possibly large monitors at this time, but a substantial amount of shopping happens on a mobile phone.
0: Yeah.
1: So how are you? How are you providing the solution for that mobile shopping occasion, which might be on the phone? I may be sitting in a coffee shop doing my shopping on the phone. So I think we've got to really understand the consumer what the, what they are looking for where they are and even down to what device they're shopping on because what device they're shopping on changes their behavior i'm much more likely to use search for example on a mobile phone than i would favorites if i'm a grocery retailer because favorites are great when i can sit on my big screen and i can go and choose the favorites but much harder to do when i'm sitting on a mobile phone at the coffee shop you know scrolling through favorites is much harder to do so i think it's looking at those different experiences and then tailoring it to that and getting how close can we get to that tailored experience from a retail point of view but it may sound simple but it's not simple i'm not i'm not trying to make it simple i'm i'm just highlighting the fact that i think we got to make sure that the focus is in the right place and come back to that over and over again as to why we're doing that rather than getting caught up on rather clever things um, when we haven't got the basics right
0: again it's back to that shiny we're all drawn to the shiny as retailers are but yeah. you're dead right it's customer centricity but true customer centricity but also looking at each pain point in that journey so I think yeah. you've laid it out really clear there but we have to we have to row it back to see how is our customer you know using us where are they kind of meeting us for the first time mm. and looking at all those little touch points I suppose tying into that then there seems to have been an explosion over the last couple of years of brands selling directly to the consumer yeah. Why do you think that is?
1: I think it's a combination of a couple of reasons. So I think brands have for a long time sold through retailers very successfully. And they've they've built substantial businesses along that route. But I think increasingly a lot of brands want to go direct to consumer, purely for the for the idea of being able to connect directly to that consumer engage them and influence them because retailers do a good job of that but they have they have the focus on a full basket they're not focused directly on your brand only so a lot of brands want to build up that that more direct connection and communicate directly.
0: I think it's it's really interesting that we've seen this explosion of almost cutting out the middleman or yeah. having a cake and eating it so I suppose but that seems to be okay right now that as as a D2C brand you absolutely mm. can sell in through and you know to a retailer to sell to your consumer you're sitting there with all the other kind of brands within your category but it's also quite nice to just meet them directly, you know, whether that's in store or it is online. Yeah, But I think, and there are definitely brands right now that are doing it really well, but it'll be interesting, I think, to see where this goes in the future because it seems to really be building momentum. And a lot of us as consumers love to buy directly from the brand itself.
1: Yeah, I, I think we do. And I think we do because we get, I, th- I think we choose direct to consumer when it offers something different for us. You know, if I can go to a shop and I can get exactly the same thing in a, it in, a, in in a shop as I can get online well then there's no real need to go go and shop online so I I think we tend to choose it where it offers something different where it offers something special so be it an assortment be it a new product introduction be it a specific variant of, this, of the SKU that we can see. You know, we tend to choose it in those cases. I, I always said everybody, like anything, it's it's not for everyone. I, I don't advocate every brand to go to direct consumer, but I think it has definitely has its place in, in your retail mix.
0: Yeah, it's nice. And again, it's nice to have something different than we certainly would have seen yeah. even five or 10 years ago. And I suppose with that as well, data oh it's almost like a dirty word sometimes and I know I speak about data an awful lot an awful lot on this podcast you specifically talk about the importance of measuring so really pulling on those analytics and that data across e-commerce platforms and I'm sure everyone out there is going yeah we do it But how many people are doing it correctly but also more importantly I suppose how many people are then using the data to to improve performance or to check performance or to grow their strategy. So for you where would you
1: start? I think analytics analytics is challenging space I think for retailers and brands alike. I think we all know it's an area we'll need to improve on Um, but you're right it's about where do you start and I think it's about measuring your current performance and then what are the changes you've got to make. One of the the phrases I use when I talk about analytics inside our business is actionable analytics. And the reason why I put the actionable in front of there is because a lot of it is descriptive. We we talk a lot about what's happening, but what does that mean I'm going to change on Monday morning? which is really the action coming in. So I think you've got to ask, really ask yourself that it's not just analytics for analytics sake, but what is the business question I need to answer? And therefore what the analytics can tell me that is the answer to that question. And there's not one report that's going to do that. It's going to be multiple reports. So I think it's really starting from that point of view. What are the business questions then what are the actions I'm going to take out of that? And if you can't have direct actions out of those business questions that mean you're going to do something different on Monday morning, then discard both the analytics and the and the reporting because it's just going to, going to be telling you something and you can't actually do anything about it. So I think really focus on on those things that I can action And then I can make changes on that. And it doesn't need to be big changes. It can be incremental changes. You know, for for a retailer, it may be something like bounce rate. What can I do to change my bounce rate? And there may be three or four things you can do to change your bounce rate. Maybe it's more engaging content. Maybe it's the frequency with which you change your content. But look at that, make those changes, and then measure it. I think we we we're, we're lulled into this false sense that everybody else has it perfectly right. Yeah. I think yeah I, th- I think we're all uh, fooling ourselves if we think everybody has it right. We're all learning and we we well, all iterating. So start with those things that you can measure and that you can change. Cuz then you'll start to see some results coming out of it.
0: I think that makes perfect sense because again just like those shiny things I think we tend to read the reports that You know, either make us feel good or the ones we always go to, which of course, if you're constantly reading the same thing, you're never going to learn and therefore never going to change the business. But it's, I really like the way you've, you've put that birth, small changes, but actually take action. It's going to be the only way to, to grow the business or even change the business, but even something as small as bounce rate, get that right and look at where it could take you in the business. So it's nice to hear you as someone that is so knowledgeable in this area you know warn people break it down break it down into small chunks that's what matters
1: yeah no absolutely there's there's the saying that you can't eat an elephant all at once you can only eat it in really small chunks and uh, and i think that's that's symptomatic of some of the problems we have in, in 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 our businesses this this there's just so much to fix so what do we fix first and what is the impact of that going to be so you know i think that's really my philosophy is is Don't need to solve every single problem. You just need to solve some and then you can move on to others.
0: It's also really nice then and I'm kind of reading between the lines there and you talk to an awful lot of retailers that it's not perfect out there for a lot of them. And that's okay. You know, again, most of us weren't even looking at this 10 years ago. You certainly were, but the general retail population, and certainly consumers, weren't bothered by some of this stuff 10 years ago. Like We're learning so fast. We're learning on the fly with a lot of this. Like yeah. as you said, writing the book, there wasn't much out there before you wrote this. So it's all very new still.
1: And, and I think we don't give ourselves enough credit for that. I think if you look at general retailing and the history of retailing, you know, the history of retailing and selling goods to other people has been going on for, gosh, probably hundreds of years. And in a formal store with a counter, probably 200 years, e-commerce, Amazon only came up in, you know, 1999. So so really, in the scale of things, it's, it's actually very, very new. And as a consequence, a lot of businesses are only now learning how to optimize it. And I think, you know, I, I've been watching with interest and it's something I should probably probably pull together at some stage is the early posts of Walmart yeah. when they were describing Amazon in the US and everybody's going, how is Walmart going to compete with Amazon? Wow. And now it's changed to the point of, well, how's Amazon going to compete with Walmart? And, you know, Walmart has stores that they can leverage. So I think, it, you know, a lot of retailers are learning how to do e-commerce, and you know some are some are better than others, and some are learning. But each there's no sort of golden golden playbook that you pull out and you go, okay, this is how I set it up. I don't think it's as simple as that. So I think learning how to test something, iterate something, and 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 move on from that is really really should be the focus for retailers.
0: Absolutely. And I fully agree. And look, at the end of the day, if your customer is happy, that shopper keeps coming back. You know that they're on that journey with you and you know it's working. So really, really good words there, Dean. So look, last question. What's coming? It's such an easy question, by the way. What's coming next in the world of e-commerce? I
1: I never I I did predictions one year, you know. (laughs) And the predictions at the beginning of that year ended up being, I think, only about 50% right. So, at the beginning of this year, I didn't choose to do predictions. Everything, Dean, do a post on predictions. And I was like, oh, I don't know. But I, I think, you know, I think there, there's a couple of things. And really, I'll boil it down to those. So, the first one is you're going to see more profit first e commerce. I think we've gone through the stage of big ideas translating into big funding and then big expansions of all sorts of things under the name of e-commerce. And that's possibly been a good stage, but it's also been a learning stage where certain business models don't work. So I think you're going to see very much a profit-first e-commerce look going forward, which is how do we make sure we understand how we make money, what's the path to profitability, and then how do we pull the right levers? So I think, you know, some profit-first e-commerce is a big one. I think that the, the second one is we're going to see a revert reverting back um, to really fundamentals that are tied to consumer behavior. I think one of the things that I've seen is is very much this idea of magpie e-commerce, where people have said, you will in the next year be making a purchase in the metaverse. And whilst I think that that's possible at some point, I don't think it's possible in the next year for most of the people most of the time. I think, you know, I always come back to that. Most of the people most of the time aren't doing that. I certainly am not yet using my Alexa to make a purchase online. So if I'm not using voice commerce, how likely am I to use the metaverse commerce? Seems like a bit of a step for me. Um, I think what you're going to see is a lot more platforms. So marketplaces are really going to start to expand. And that may seem strange, but really what we're going through is we're going through an evolution, which is very much like what we've seen in the bricks and mortar world. So in the bricks and mortar world, we saw the, the era of large hypermarkets, and that's where Amazon is. Amazon's are the hypermarket of the internet is what I call Amazon. But what came after hypermarkets was category specialists, where you had sports stores or bookstores, or, you know, we had all these Specific verticals. And I think that's what you're going to see in, 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 in e-commerce going forward. It's lots of verticals where you answer specific questions. There's one, there's a DIY one in Europe called Mana Mano, which is a marketplace specifically for DIY. I've seen another one in Northern Europe, which is agricultural equipment so it's a marketplace where you can buy your 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 balers and all of those types of things that you need for your farm very successful business doing about a billion euro in in out of denmark but i think you're going to see a lot of those obviously not at the scale of turnover of amazon but they're going to be more specific to to certain verticals and I think that's that's the sort of next evolution that you'll see. So I think we'll move towards shopping on those. And then the last prediction I'll make there is that B2B will become the big driver in efficiency for for most businesses. Certainly even the B2B marketplace in the world in the, in the US has gone from 100 marketplaces two years ago to 750 of them today. And, and I, so I think B2B and leveraging technology to, to make our businesses more productive and more efficient will definitely be what we'll see going forward.
0: It's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. And yeah, I think it's it's the next big thing. And when you think about it from an efficiency perspective, even for a shopper, kind of makes sense whether you're a business or you're a consumer, that you go directly to the place that serves your needs. So interesting times to come in retail. Surprise, surprise. But yeah, watch the space. means you're going to have to write another book, Dean. I can feel a second one coming on in time. And, uh, I want to Welcome back <laughs> when you do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Perhaps. Beginning beginning to think there might be another one next year
0: happy days we look forward to it well look if you've enjoyed today's podcast episode please do like and share it remember you can listen back to past retail tea break podcast episodes on your favorite podcast platform or of course on youtube follow myself and dean on linkedin and i'll obviously pop a link in to purchase the book into the show notes and you'll be able to find the show notes and the transcript for today's episode on the retail dean thank you so much for your time today
1: And thank you for having me on. It's been fantastic to chat with you.